Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Coming up today, we're going to talk a little bit more about Vladimir Tarasenko. A new report saying that he actually wanted to re-sign with the Rangers, who dallied and then declined, leaving Tarasenko with minimal options. We'll talk about this new report from Ottawa U about raising the age of body checking in minor hockey from 13 to 15. Is that a good idea or not? And a whole lot more coming up here on the program today. Greg, how are you today? I'm good, Stephen. It's Saturday morning. Some guy's out cutting the grass. I hope he can't hear the uh, hope the lawnmower's not uh, coming through on the mic. It's kind of loud out there. But uh, <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a fine Saturday morning here in Ottawa, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And talking of uh, cutting the grass, my grass cutting, just as an aside here before we launch in, <laughs> okay, got first a whole of all, lot. First of all, your grass cutting requires how much fuel and how many hours? Oh, a lot of fuel. Yeah, I, I need to spend about I've spent about fifteen bucks in gas probably to cut the lawn one time. Yeah, I got about two acres, and it takes me about three hours. So God. I'm I'm on the tractor for three hours. And like I say, just as an aside, before we get started here, um, my wife got me these awesome noise oh, yeah. canceling headphones. I can barely hear anything except whatever podcast I'm listening to. So it's great. <laughs> Let's hope nobody comes running out. Hey, Steve, you got a phone call? And then you just run them right over. I can't even hear. Yeah. Them. Uh, we should jump in, though. We're already sure. boring the good listener. <laughs> okay. So uh, Vladimir Tarasenko, kind of interesting. This is uh, John Scott on the Dropping the Gloves podcast with uh, his insight on the Tarasenko situation. And, uh, well, I'll play it. Let's play a, qu- a quick clip. You can check it out for yourself, the entire conversation on Dropping the Gloves with John Scott. This is the former NHL tough guy. He's got his own podcast now. And uh, some what I thought was some pretty interesting insight on how the Tarasenko situation went down. Just to reset, this is a very good free agent that was available on the market on July 1st. But he didn't sign until the 27th of July with the Ottawa Senators, only getting a one-year deal at $5 million. And this is what John Scott was hearing about the situation. Early on, reportedly, he got some big offers. One from Ottawa, four years, $5.5 million dollars. You got a nice offer from Carolina, one year, 5.25. You got an offer from San Jose, one year, $6 million. The reason those offers evaporated was because he really wanted to stay with the New York Rangers. It is my understanding that the reason he fires his agent is because his agent said, we're going to make it work with the Rangers. I've talked to them. We're going to get something done. They're going to move some things. They really want to keep you. Just pump the brakes on signing with some other team. Even though we're getting big offers, good offers, we're going to wait on the Rangers. They're trying to move things around. Then all of a sudden, things don't work out with the Rangers. They move on. They say, Vladimir, sorry, we got to go our separate ways. We can't make the money work. He goes back to the market. Everybody's already moved on. So that's John Scott on dropping the gloves. And we can't vouch for the source that John Scott is using there. But you know what? That does seem to make a lot of sense. That's It sounds kind of like... If I'm to imagine how it went down, that seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, it makes sense because the time. We know there was some sort of a time lapse, right? Like what went on for, it was close to three weeks, if not longer, from July 1st. Was it 27th or something by the time he signed? Something Mm -hmm. has to explain that time frame. And most people have been chalking it up to the agent change. And, of course, there's lots of theories. Did he... 
did he fire the agent because he thought he was worth more or did he fire the agent because the agent told him he wasn't worth that or something, you know, like what caused that? Um, I do know I, Pierre himself was on the uh, NHL network this week. And it's funny, you and I were talking about this before and I couldn't remember that he said anything really that was all that uh, illuminating, but he did say on the Tarasenko front that his original offer was on the 2nd of day of July. The original offer was made and he indicated that they came back around to him later. And the question was about the no trade clause. Are you willing to do a no trade clause? And Pierre said, yes. And then the deal was done. So I wonder if that factored into it with the Rangers or, or anybody else for that matter. Cause if you were signing Vladimir Tarasenko to a long-term contract, like three, four or five years, and he wanted a no trade clause, <laughs> I'd be saying no to that as well. And whether it was the Rangers or San Jose or anybody, I'd be saying no on a five-year deal with a no trade clause. Wouldn't you? Well, I'm, I'm just, it, it sounded like it was a, he wanted a no trade clause on his one-year deal. Isn't that, I mean, well, isn't that sort of unusual? Yeah, that makes no sense. I mean, well, no, I mean, I guess it does, I guess. But I mean, you're going chasing, out the door anyway at the end of this yeah, year. Exactly. Though. And if you're tracing a championship, you're looking for a Stanley Cup. Like, first and foremost, I would think the first thing on his list was, I want to go to a team that, that's going to compete for a cup. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd be willing to maybe bite a little or take a little off your, your demands to, to play for that team. But if it was originally more than two or three years and a no trade clause, I can't see anybody wanting to give him that. So it only makes right. sense that, okay, so now it's a one-year deal, no trade clause. Why? What's, what's what's the big deal? Like he just doesn't want to operate his family in, in March? Why? Yeah, it was it was an odd choice. You're only signing a one-year deal, so you want to make sure that you're not traded in the next year. Maybe just, I guess that's it, because he did talk a lot about his boys and wanted to enroll them in school and get them into their minor hockey teams. And and maybe just and maybe it's something as simple as not wanting to interrupt their minor yeah. hockey team or something like that. Uh, but you know, it is it is a little unusual to ask for a no trade when you're only committing for one year to an organization. Let's talk about a parallel universe here for a second say the New York Rangers thing was not in play, you go back and there's a four-year contract that Pierre Dorian is said to have offered at $5.5 million a year. Um, And let's take the no-trade clause off the table for this discussion. Are you happier with the one-year deal at $5 million? Or would you have been intrigued by Dorian actually getting an opportunity to sign Tarasenko earlier in free agency at four years at $5.5 million? Well, I, I think I'm on record here saying four years of Vladimir Tarasenko is not very appealing to me. Uh, mm-hmm. I really think the one is the, the two probably would have been a good, uh, I would have been okay with two. One, I think is perfect. It's perfect for both sides, but I can understand the player wanting four or five years because sure. the player, uh, no doubt Vladimir Tarasenko knows that, you know, if he doesn't have a good year this year, then what kind of money is he going to get next year when he's a free agent again? So, so there's so that security is there for the longer term. But I was kind of surprised when I first heard that it was the original offer was four years. I'm thinking, wow, you know, here we go again. It's going to be yet another contract we're going to have to get rid of down the road. Um, I, no, I'm intrigued is not the right word. Pissed off might have been the right word when I first heard of of a four year deal. Like seriously, you you wouldn't have done that, would you? Would you wanted to sign him to four years? I don't think so, but yeah. I reserve the right to change my mind when I see what Tarasenko actually looks like in an Ottawa Senator uniform this year. Quite possibly, we all in October might look at this guy and how he fits in in the top six 
and say, "Ooh, that four years is looking kind of nice right now. Uh, so, but, but from what I've seen via highlights and the limited St. Louis Blues and Rangers games that I've seen, yeah, no, four years would be a little much for me. Um, but I do think as I keep getting asked again and again this summer, as I bump into other hockey fans and friends, they keep asking me things like, what do you think of the Tarasenko signing? How do you think the Sens are going to look this fall? I do feel pretty good. You know, they lose to Brinkett. I mean, with Kubalik and Tarasenko, I think you replace the offense right there and then throw Josh Norris onto the heap, who was mm-hmm. not around for most of last year. How can you not think the Senators are a much better club than they were this time last year? And not to mention Jacob Chikrin on the back end, who was not there this time last year. Yeah, like uh, they're at the point now where their, their top six is as good or, or better than last year. Again, the point you just made, Josh Norris returning and Tarasenko coming in. I really think their top six could be way better than their top six of last year. Uh, right. Even factoring in the possibility that maybe Claude Giroux doesn't have quite the same season, but Drake Batherson's due for a bounce back. Their top six to me is better. Their bottom six has always been a problem. Um, and, and I, I think it's probably a little bit better too, assuming natural progressions or proper pro- projected progression from Greg and Pinto. I think the bottom six is, is better. Um, the defense is definitely better. Like this is, I think this is a better team now. Yeah, you lost yeah. Alex to break it. You had to bite the bullet. You took a little bit in the embarrassment file from from fans and hockey people in 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 the way the whole fiasco ended. But I think he's done a pretty good pivot here, and and things have turned out okay. I think. Yeah, that third line is really intriguing. With Shane Pinto, another year older, he's only played ninety nine games in the league, so he's back. And um, I mean, he still has to sign a contract, still an RFA, obviously, but that'll get done. He's got Kubalik probably on his left side, and then maybe either Ridley Gregg or Matthew Joseph. I think about, I think I'm expecting a bounce back year from Matthew Joseph. I know we're all a little un- not annoyed, but uh, we all think he's probably being paid a little too much at almost $3 million a year. But I still think that's a nice third-line player for the Ottawa Senators and has always looked good when playing with Shane Pinto. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pumped for the new season for sure. At Jim K. Ford, we know that your business is your livelihood. That's why we offer a wide range of Ford commercial vehicles and Ford Pro services to meet all of your professional needs. Whether you're looking for a tough, durable pickup truck or a spacious cargo van, we have the perfect vehicle for you. And with Ford Pro, we make it easy to customize your ride with options and business solutions that are tailored to your unique requirements. Take your business to the next level. Come on down to Jim K. Ford or visit us online at jimkford.com. At Jim K. Ford Lincoln. A lot of the Sens news this summer, Greg, has orbited around the Alex DeBrinkett story. And DeBrinkett's agent throughout the somewhat annoying process was Jeff Jackson, who also represents Connor McDavid out in Edmonton. Well, this week, Jeff Jackson becomes the new CEO of hockey operations for the Edmonton Oilers. Kind of weird circumstances. So you think about the DeBrinket thing, and, and Jeff Jackson is fairly notoriously a hardballing agent, and uh, Sens fans are not particularly pleased with how the whole DeBrinket thing in general went down. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. But it does create kind of an interesting next few weeks, maybe a couple of months even, when you think about the future of the Ottawa Senators and their front office and their executive group, because Steve Steos is currently in the front office of the Edmonton Oilers. And Steve Steos is also 
a longtime running mate of new incoming Ottawa Senators owner Michael Andlauer. They were together with their OHL club in Hamilton, I think in the AHL version of Hamilton as well. But uh, thick as thieves, and a lot of people have been speculating that Steos may end up at some point with the Ottawa Senators. Well, if you're firing Jeff Jackson now into the Oilers' front office, that might suggest the Oilers are expecting a vacancy fairly shortly. What say you? Yeah, it's interesting, right? He kind of slides in there between Bob Nicholson and Ken Holland. I think that that spells the end of one, if not both, of them. Um, Bob Nicholson is probably ready for a ride off into the sunset and retire. And Ken Holland probably doesn't have much time left anyway. He's good. He's, it's time to have some success or he's probably done. Plus age, he might be ready for retirement. So now it becomes, okay, is Steve Steos in the picture there as a guy who's going to fill in down the road, move up in, in power and in, in position there down the road? Or as you just alluded to, does it mean this is the end of Steve Steos in Edmonton? Uh, we got Rob Stoffer from from uh, the Edmonton Oiler radio coverage out there at Edmonton this week saying that it's all but a done deal, that Steos, it's only a matter of time before he comes here because of the past relationship with Andlauer. And I would I would agree with that. I'd, I'd say, yeah, that's probably what's coming. The Oilers are, are making plans for his not being around, and the Senators are waiting for a new the owner to come in here officially and bring in Steve Steos in some capacity. Yeah, in some capacity. That's the million-dollar question. That's where it becomes very interesting. Is Steve Steos arriving in Ottawa? If, in fact, that happens. That's uh, putting the cart before the horse a little bit. But let's speculate. If he does come to Ottawa, is it likely to be is he likely to be Pierre Dorian's boss? Or is he likely to be Pierre Dorian? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that it, if it happens... Uh, like this summer or if it happens before the season starts or shortly into the season, I think he comes in as, as uh, the boss. I don't think that, uh, that they're prepared at this time to fire Pierre or let Pierre go. I think that comes after a little more time here in assessment and, and he's put this team together and let's see how, how he does. And let's see how this team performs this team that Pierre's put together. So I, I think he comes in as the boss probably before September uh, and then eventually down the road, some changes come. The other question mark here is if Steve Stales is coming, depending on what job they give him, what job is available for Alfie? Because there's got to be a role for Alfie in there too. And we all know that Alfie's not coming in here to be uh, like Jean Beliveau with the Habs. He's not going to dinners and shaking hands. He wants a hockey job. So there's got to be a hockey position there available for him as well. So maybe it's Stales comes in as president uh, and and eventually hires, or maybe Alfie comes in as president. Stales becomes GM. But there's 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 two guys for sure who have to have roles in this organization. Totally agree. And and, and this uh, hopefully Steve Stales is really great at his job. I mean that's what it all comes down to. I don't care what pro sport you're talking about. Whoever's at the top of that food chain, um, you know, right beneath the owner. I mean maybe and and who knows maybe Andlauer is going to make himself the CEO the way some owners sometimes do. Um, you need quality people at the top and then everything else takes care of itself. The quality people, quality human beings, professionals, knowledgeable, smart. If, if you have those types of people at the top of the pyramid, everything else that flows beneath it mm-hmm. really, truly takes care of itself. And as far as Alfie goes, um, and I'll go back to uh, the Trent Mann firing, no, firing, leaving, whatever it is, 
Um, as with the exit of Anthony LeBlanc, the director of business operations, just all of a sudden, around the same time that Trent Mann just suddenly leaves the club, I think conversations were had in that maybe you're not part of the plans moving forward for whatever reason. Um, maybe it's a case of Trent Mann uh, gets the word from Michael and Laura that, uh, yeah, as far as the assistant GM role goes that you possess right now, along with Ryan uh, Bonus, we're probably going to be giving that to uh, Daniel Alfredson. So maybe you want to look for w- work elsewhere. That's a possibility. I'm just throwing that out there. Um, moving on, though, wanted to get to this before the end of the second segment here. And that is this story that's come out from the University of Ottawa. And you and I have, you, know, you much longer than me, but we've coached minor hockey for a long time. Uh, it hasn't been a factor for me because I've coached competitive girls hockey, which does not have body checking, but you've been immersed in it forever. And I'm sure you have a great opinion on this in that the University of Ottawa, and I'm sure parents have a, an opinion on this as well. University of Ottawa has suggested in a, a recent study that hockey players should not be body checking until the age of 15. Medical researchers are making the latest call for organizations and lawmakers right across the country to raise the age of body checking being allowed from 13 to 15. And I think that uh, generally speaking, if you have any affiliation with minor hockey, you probably have a pretty strong opinion on whether that's a good idea or not. What do you think about that story? Well, I I can, I'll share something with you, Steve. I was part of the uh, development uh, national development council with hockey Canada in my role uh, when I was technical director with ODHA back in the days. And I was with the sitting around a table with Hockey Canada with my, the guys in my position from across the country when the last study came out that said that it should be at 13. And we argued it and went back and forth on it and, and discussed it at length as to what was going to happen there when Hockey Canada finally made the decision to, to bring in that 13 age group. And my thought at that time and my thought today remains the same. These are professionals who have done the research. Uh, looked at the numbers, compared things, done studies of, of both in Canada, around the world, looking at this, these things, physiologically, physically, strength, size, all that sort of stuff factors into it. And this is what they think. So I think that if you do a deep dive and study their 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 study, if you, if you will, and, and you find it to be factual, and yeah, you, you can agree with it, then I think it's it's a no-brainer. These are what these professionals think. And I would agree with them if that's what they want to do, if that's what they think is the right thing for our for the youth of our country, then, yeah, I'm OK with it. The argument always is, is that the earlier they learn how to body check and such and have the awareness one needs to know where everybody else on the ice is, because without body checking, you can be really puck focused and basically ignore what's going on around you. And then when you introduce body checking later on. You could be in a situation where you're in for a world of hurt when the bigger, stronger, older players are slamming into you versus, you know, the little bump you'd get at age 11 or whatever it is. The argument's always, you know, you have to learn how to take a check in those early days mm-hmm. and uh, that the, uh, you know, you're setting yourself up for maybe more major injuries later on. What say you to that? Well, I, I think the other side of the coin, though, Steve, is it just gives that much more time for players to develop buck skills, <laughs> the, the stick handlers of the game, the, the, the magical passers of the game, the, the guys that can play with the puck in small spaces and, and dangle like nobody's business. 
it gives so much more time for those players to learn and master those skills before being introduced to the whole contact side of it. I think the other thing that we miss out on here too is, don't forget, it's less than, what, 1% who are going to play in the NHL. How many players that, that we're talking about that this is going to affect that play minor hockey in this country are ever going to play major junior or junior A or junior B or anywhere where there's contact? The majority of kids that play hockey in this country are recreational level. The guy that's going to go on to play beer league, he doesn't need to know how to hit. So I'm I'm okay with it because as it is, there's mostly no hitting unless it's competitive anyway, right? We're only really talking about one or two years here of competitive hockey without contact being being put back another two years, I guess. I, I'm, I'm okay with it. I just think it gives everybody more time to to play the game and learn the game and enjoy the game from a skill level, pure hockey skill level, without being worried about getting run over. One other thing I'd throw in there if you want to cut down on concussions, which is the point of this whole discussion and the study itself, is that I'd like to see, because they're dirt cheap now, it's not like it'd be a massive expenditure. I know it looks like hell. It's not cool at all. But a simple body cam on referee helmets would really help cut down on the headhunters out there. Some of them happen accidentally. I certainly acknowledge that. But there's some real turkeys out there in the minor hockey world at various levels who absolutely love freight training guys, big elbow to the head or whatever it is. And, you know, going back to their dad, who's an assistant coach on the bench, high-fiving him, chuckling, that's my boy. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's that expensive to put cameras on top of referee helmets to give them an opportunity to really have a look at things uh, after the game and and really throw the book at these turkeys who are running around making the game unsafe. You know, it's never too early to talk about the World Junior Hockey Championships, which start on Boxing Day. Uh, it's going to be happening in uh, lovely downtown Gothenburg, Sweden, the hometown of some dude named Daniel Alfredson. But right now, in the past week, the World Junior Summer Showcase has been happening at USA Hockey Arena in Plymouth, Michigan, and two Ottawa Senator prospects have been immersed in the action over the past week. You've got a couple of 2022 Ottawa Senator draft picks, a third rounder by the name of Oscar Peterson, or Peterson, who uh, actually signed his entry-level contract with the Sens earlier this summer, so he's regarded as a true and legit prospect. You also have goalie Kevin Riedler, chosen in the same draft in the fifth round, and uh, while they both had uh, games to forget, Pedersen actually got dinged up a little bit. He got uh, looked like he got the old forearm shiver in the neutral zone in a game against USA White. And uh, there was a penalty on the play. It was from Minnesota first rounder Charlie Stramel. And uh, he basically, Peterson did, he, he bounces off Stramel, collides with another American player who's moving along and had to leave the ice. So that didn't go particularly well. And then Riedler in that very same game this past Monday, he got pumped for all 10 goals in a 10-1 loss to the American team. And I should point out that this little mini tournament is about a split squad American team along with Team Sweden and Finland. Everybody's trying to evaluate things for the national programs for the World Juniors on Boxing Day. And so that's kind of the the background of it. But uh I mean, what is Team Sweden doing leaving the Sens prospect Riedler out there in goal for all 10 goals? I'd love to hear the circumstances or the theory behind that. 
strange, huh? It's like, yeah. okay, we promised you the game. You're going to play the whole game. I've just, I, I, I will say this though, Steve, we need to increase the budget around here so that we could go to these events. Like, like we need to get out on the road, buddy. This is, this thing's in Plymouth. That's not far. We could have gone there or we could meet the Holinka Gretzky or something. We need to increase the budget. I and agree. Secondly, yeah. And secondly, this uh, Oscar Peterson guy, he has to play here. He's already got a statue downtown right in front of the NAC. So he's he's got to play for this team someday, doesn't he? It only really yeah. makes sense. Yes. Well, unfortunately, he's not the uh, Canadian jazz legend uh, who's oh. been passed away for many decades now. But oh. um, but uh, a good theory, though. <laughs> he could, uh, uh, can you not see that? It's a Faces magazine cover shot, Steve. It's Oscar and Oscar sitting side by side at the piano. Excellent. Let's wait till he plays a game in the NHL okay. and people have actually heard of him. Maybe that would be the game plan. But uh, uh, Sam Stockton covers the Detroit Red Wings for the hockey news, and uh, he's been covering the tournament in Michigan and was keeping an eye on the Sens prospects. And so Reedler, he told me, we swapped texts on this, he wasn't nearly as bad as the scoreline in the blowout on Monday. He was surprised <laughs> they left him in for the whole game because the U.S. was just coming in waves. But he said, you know what, it's a game in July that got out of hand quickly and the bleeding just never stopped. We've all seen games that have happened like that. The sport of hockey, and as for Peterson, he said his confidence with the puck was very noticeable, as you'd expect from a returning veteran, because Peterson was in this tournament last year at four points in the seven games that he played. And uh, his line with Philip Bystet and Alexander Suzdalev, who was Connor Bedard's line mate last season, looked very dangerous, despite the fact it was a 10-1 loss. So there's a bit of insight on a couple of Ottawa Senator prospects uh, in actual game action. There's actually hockey yeah. being played right now. And looking to the future, let's face it, the Senators don't really have a lot of big-name studs out there in the prospect pipeline. They really need a, a third, a fourth, a fifth rounder to, to, to be a bit of a surprise, I guess, for somebody to step up to try to uh, compensate for the lack of talent that's been found in the last couple drafts, I guess, let's say. Prior to that, obviously, they had a great run, but uh, there's been a lot of misses uh, in the last two drafts so far anyway. Yeah. Moving on to another NHL bit of news. Certainly, Sens fans always keep a close eye on what's going on with the other, less important Ontario team and the Toronto Maple Leafs, of course, parted company with their general manager uh, near the end of the season, and Kyle Dubas ended up with Pittsburgh. And recalling his news conference at the end of the Leaf season, he's talking about family. He's talking about, uh, I won't go anywhere next season. I'll either be the Leafs GM or I won't be anywhere. Not sure what I'm going to do. Uh, well, now Dubas just can't can't stop getting NHL jobs. He's hired on with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins as the president and the interim general manager. And this week, he uh, opted to make himself the full-time GM uh, for at least the foreseeable future. And uh, no surprise there. I don't think that uh, I think everybody knew that Dubas is part of the reason things kind of went sideways in Toronto and that there was a bit of a control struggle for hockey decision making at the at the top between Dubas and Brendan Shanahan. Not a surprise to me either. We all figured this from the get go. I really think that Jason Spezza is probably the next GM. He's there as an assistant I think that's his official title now, but I'm not sure that he's actually full-time living in Pittsburgh and made the move. I think he's just kind of joined the staff in, in a in a satellite type of role. 
Um, I think it's only a matter of time before for Spezza. He needs to be ready to be a GM. Let's face it; he's only really been in a in a head office in Toronto for what, like a year now. Mm-hmm. Um, so someday he'll be the GM. But I was surprised when I read articles about this, two or three of them, where they all mentioned that it's a small front office, and it made me think of Ottawa. There's not a lot of people on staff there with extensive hockey resumes, very similar to Ottawa. Some promotions were made from within. I know Trevor Daly is part of the staff there. He was promoted. Amanda Kessel, Phil's sister, is now an assistant GM. And there's somebody else who's been promoted to assistant GM. So there's there's people there that he likes and trusts and has gotten to know in the short time that he's been there and has made promotions internally. But there's no, there hasn't been any growth. He hasn't added to the staff. He simply promoted people and given them more responsibilities. But uh, I still think that Jason Spetz is going to be your your full time GM, the next the next GM of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Who would you rather be the GM of? Which team, the Penguins or the Leafs? It seems like the Leafs are closer to success potentially. Not to say that they'll ever break that drought, uh, <clears throat> and uh, then the Pittsburgh Penguins, who are just getting older and older. Uh, Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin con- continue to cheat Father Time. Crosby, 93 points. Malkin, 83. They, uh, one of the things Dubas talked about as well uh, was the uh, the fact that uh, Jake Gensel uh, is not going to be ready for the start of the season all of a sudden. So there's your young gun who actually was, uh, you know, he was right there with those two guys. A very good season last year. One of the studs on the Penguins. So you got, you know, the guys that are playing are getting older. Another year older guy like Gensel is going to be uh, missing the start of the season. Um, it seems to me that Pittsburgh isn't going to win another Stanley Cup in this window. Um, would you rather be running Pittsburgh right now if you're Dubas or still in Toronto? Well, I think it comes down to would you rather be responsible and in charge of a rebuild or would you rather be responsible and in charge of a contending team and making changes around the periphery of that team? Are you, are you a builder from scratch or are you a, a builder from or, or a, a, an addition guy? Are you, are you more of a tinkerer or are you more of a builder? And I think mm-hmm. Pittsburgh gives you much more of an opportunity to put a stamp on things as far as the next generation of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, after Crosby, after Malkin, after Latang, what's that team going to look like? You've got an opportunity there to really change the face of the franchise and, and chart their course to the future. Whereas in Toronto, you're more of a, I don't know, more of a babysitter in a sense, right? You're just kind of looking after things, making sure this is right, tinkering here and there, trying to find the right combination to maybe finally fix the blue line, uh, work on the goaltending scenario, but you're hampered by those contracts from the big four. So it's, it's more of a, it's more of a caretaker role in Toronto. You know, you get to be much more hands-on. So I think that that would probably appeal to Kyle Dubas is that the future is 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 here quicker right he's going to be getting rid of his big high contract high value guys sooner than the Leafs are so that that future's coming sooner for you in Pittsburgh and you get to you get to actually make some moves which is easier said than done when you talk about moving those high contract guys like we're talking about legacy players and I remember back in Ottawa here in 2014 how much I loathed seeing Daniel Offertson go somewhere else it wasn't because the Sens had any plans for him to go somewhere else. It just was a, a contract dispute. And he said, okay, um, flip of the bird, and then went to Detroit and signed as a free agent there. In this case, it's the same sort of thing. From a GM perspective, just looking at it in a cold, calculated way, without emotion, 
the play would be to move Crosby and Malkin right now and begin the rebuild, get a bunch of parts while these guys can still play the game very, very well. They're probably good for another two or three years somewhere, but the game is not cold and calculated and emotionless. So that's a very, very difficult decision for a GM to make to uh, to do that. So uh, while maybe the smart thing, I wonder if it would happen. Would Penguin fans burn down Pittsburgh if you sent Sidney Crosby to play somewhere else at the stage? Well, I don't think it'll ever be Crosby. <laughs> I could see it maybe being Malkin. I could see it maybe being Latang. Uh, it'll never be Crosby. He's going to retire right. as a Penguin. But yeah, you know, the whole the, but the but the theme the the theory of it is is the same no matter what you're you're dealing with players who are on their downside. It's not like in the NBA. It's simple. Uh, the, three guys of that caliber would have come to Kyle Dubas by now and said, uh, "Hey, we want all. I want to be traded to this team, and I want to be traded to that team, and they just make it happen." It's so right. much easier in the NBA to move superstars around. It just doesn't happen in hockey. Um, I wouldn't want to be in that position, though. Like, could you imagine being like, well, you mentioned Ottawa. Imagine you were here in Ottawa back in the day. Let's say Hosa, Alfredson, uh, you know, Red and Chara, when you had those four guys. Imagine those four guys were all being paid like like they are today, like players are in the NHL today. And you had to make a decision on those guys like, wow. It's not an easy thing to deal with. It, it becomes more and more difficult, obviously. The more years the players here, the more tied into the community they are, the more tied into the fan base they are. But tough decisions have to be made. And generally, when those decisions get made, it's by a new guy, right? And Dubas is the new guy and doesn't appear to want to make those decisions either. Like, I get it when it's a long-standing guy. He's not going to trade these people. But the new guy will when he comes in. And this new guy didn't. And neither has the new guy in Toronto, for that matter. So it's kind of interesting to see how both situations are going to turn out down the road. Because Toronto is shaping up to look like a Pittsburgh in four years or three years with the same with the same guys and uh, possibly the same ridiculous contracts. All right, that'll do it for this week's show, ladies and gentlemen. Don't forget about our website, sensnationhockey.com. Greg, enjoy your weekend, and we shall talk to you in a few days. For sure. And go Red Black Sunday night. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. Share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.